thinking, Pastor Paul, did you pre-record this? Because it looks like you're wearing exactly what you wore yesterday. No, we didn't pre-record this. This is live. Um, I just haven't changed, showered, cleaned up. I haven't even moved from this chair since yesterday morning. I've just been meditating upon um, our scripture passage for today. Of course, you know that's, I have been meditating upon it, but, but not in the same location, in the same attire, from the same place. Uh, but we are in Exodus chapter 3. Last time, recall, we looked at one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, Moses and the burning bush. And the more I thought about this passage and studying some of what others have said about this, I, I thought we would do a part two on this passage because it is so rich. It is so, um, there's just so much in here. And to, to, to kind of to kind of intro this before I read the passage again and pray for us, I, I want you to look at verse 12 in chapter 3 of Exodus. When um, Moses asks, actually in verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Very interesting what the Lord says. He said, verse 12, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, the mountain he's talking about is obviously Mount Sinai. This is where the Ten Commandments were given. This is um, the place, I mean, just one of the holiest of, of occasions um, when the law was given. And we'll get to that a little later in Exodus. But what's interesting is that God is already pointing Moses towards the end game what he is going to save the Israelites for why he is going to bring them out into the wilderness it's not merely to escape physical bondage although that's certainly a part of it it's in fact for them to worship him see the word service okay there in the Hebrew it's the same word we use for worship okay or the the service of the priest the worship of the priest God is talking to them um, or to Moses at this point about where and how and why he wants to gather the people of up. They are to come and to give honor and praise and glory to God. They're to serve him. They're to, they're to worship him. This is a consistent answer that God gives through Moses all the way throughout the, the Exodus narrative. So if you flip over for a minute to chapter 7, verse 16, you'll notice um, what the Lord tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, verse 16. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that or so that they may serve me in the wilderness. So this is not a peripheral theme. The worship of God, the gathering of God, the, the way that we are to align ourselves in accordance with, with, our, with both our lives and our gathered worship is of paramount importance in this text. And it's a, it's a central concern throughout the book of Exodus. And so we're going to talk a little bit about worship this morning. Um, and, and we want to distinguish um, two different kinds of worship, although they're interrelated. One is worship scattered. That's the idea that wherever we go, whatever we do, wherever we are, we are bringing a posture and attitude of worship to God that we are not to view our life into uh, view our life as divided into segments some with spiritual importance others that are just 
mundane and secular. All of life is lived to worship. You've heard me quote many times Louis Giglio, who has, who has said, worship is not what Christians do. Worship is what people do. See, we're, we're designed for worship. We're going to value. We're going to have our affections laid upon something. And so there's never not a time where we're not worshiping. There's never not a time that we are not um, living our lives before the face of God. At the same time, there is also this idea of worship gathered. And sometimes in our evangelical circles, this gets sort of short thrift um, because we tend to think of, of worship gathered as something that we, you know, it's just a, it's just a, it's a low priority of a Sunday. My Sundays are mine. I can either go out of town or stay home or stream it on TV. It's not really that important for me to gather there. And that's not the way God thinks about gathered or corporate worship at all. In fact, gathered and corporate worship is supposed to be the celebration and the culmination of God's people who've been out living lives of worship during the week who are now coming together to remind themselves, to reorient themselves to the centrality of God. And what we have here in Exodus chapter 3, I believe, is a paradigm for, for personal worship, but it's also a paradigm for gathered worship. So let's read this passage again, and let me just note a few things that jump out to us, okay? Verse, verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And so, so let me just kind of give you just a few elements of where, of, of, of what we see in this passage and how we as a church body um, really attempt to shape our worship according to this pattern. Now, this is not the only place that we learn about gathered worship in the church, but this is certainly seems to fit the general paradigm of what we see. And, and the first is, is that God calls Moses, okay? Moses is not just sitting around one day and decides, hmm, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. Um, there, there's not any particular evidence that he even knows exactly who the Lord is. Okay, I mean, certainly he does by oral tradition and such, but but it's unclear if he's ever even had a personal encounter with God. 
right? In fact, in this passage, later on, we'll see this tomorrow, God reveals himself in a more specific way to Moses. But this idea of God calling to Moses, Moses is just minding his own business, tending his own sheep, but God comes to Moses, okay? So think about for a second in our worship why we have a call to worship. Who is calling us to worship? We're not just calling ourselves to worship. God is calling us to worship, right? <laughs> because he is the supreme. He is the king. He is the one that sets the terms for our worship. And he is the one that calls us into his presence. And that, and that is vitally important that we understand that God is the initiative or the driving force behind the worship of himself, right? So we typically think about, well, did I like the worship today? Meaning, did I like the music or did I like the preaching or did I like whatever? And, and that sort of mindset or framework is really foreign to the Bible. The most important question we can ask about our worship is, did it honor God? <laughs> did God like it? Did, it? did it please God? And so we hear, see God making the initiative, God calling, calling Moses to come and worship him. So secondly, we see Moses is coming to him. And the, and the language here is like the idea that, that Moses is being summoned by the king, okay? And, and I wonder how much we, we think about the fact that what we do as a corporate body, not just in terms of gathering, okay, but the importance of gathering, the, the idea that, that, that our corporate worship is not for us to decide if we're going to be there or not. It's, it's for God to call us into his presence, and it's, it's God summoning us, okay? So we would never think, right, in an ancient context of being summoned by a king and refusing to come to the king, but yet to his presence, his throne. But in fact, that's what God does. He summons, he calls us into worship. Now, the interesting thing, Moses comes, and immediately there is a problem, right? God says, uh, stop right where you are, Moses. Where you are treading is on holy ground. And this doesn't mean that there is a sacred place, okay, just for worship that just because we gather in a building called the church, that anything makes that more sacred, it's something is sacred to the extent that God is there, that God is present. That's why Paul says our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God lives in us. But so this idea that, that, that the holy ground, it really means God is present. He is holy. And it's very clear Moses is not adequate. He is not perfect enough, pure enough to enter the holy presence of God in himself. Um, he, he has to take off his shoes. Now, there's a lot of debate about why that is. Well, it's typically probably, I mean, good, a, good, a, a fair guess, you know, is in ancient cultures, slaves or servants did not wear shoes, okay? It was a sign of their submission. It was a sign of their uh, coming under the authority of their master. And here, when Moses is taking off his shoes, okay, and then bowing himself and coming before him, Moses is acknowledging his unworthiness. He's confessing his sins. He's, he's coming face to face with the holy God. And, and again, this emphasizes to us, we do not come to God on our terms. We do not come to God like as if we're doing a favor for him, as if we're blessing him by being for, for the fact that we're in his presence. In reality, 
when, when we come and we, for example, confess our sins in worship, what we are confessing is that, no, apart from Christ, we are not worthy. Apart from the blood of Jesus, uh, we cannot stand in the holiness of God. And so this is what we see with Moses. He's coming, he's submitting himself, he's, he's, he's acknowledging his unworthiness. And then we see this element of God speaking. Okay, And so, so up to this point, understand something. That, that until God speaks, Moses, it's unclear what's happening here. It's unclear probably from Moses who he's dealing with. But it is when God speaks that he reveals himself. That he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, that he is the covenant-keeping God. That he is the holy God. And, and it's a reminder that unless we hear God speak and conform our lives to his speaking, we're just worshiping and creating a God in our own image, right? And so this is why the preached word, because we believe that it's God speaking to men through the Holy Spirit who have written those words to us and have now given them to us. That's why the scriptures play such a prominent role in our worship. Not because of what I have to say or any other pastor has to say, it's because of what God has to say. And we want to measure the faithfulness of the preaching in relationship to the word of God. And so here we see God speaking in his word and it takes a prominent place. And then finally we see the response. Okay, that's what we, that's what we do at the end of our services. We have a time of response where we reflect, we think, what is God calling us to do? We come to the table, okay? We, we, we meditate upon the words of Christ. We, we acknowledge our unworthiness to obey. Um, and we, we, we plead for God's mercy and grace. And we are praying for a responsive heart, a heart of obedience, okay? And, and finally, we, when we exit that service, and this benedict with a benediction, what we're praying is God's blessing upon us. It's it's what we see here in this passage, okay? When God says, But I shall be with you. So when we do a benediction at church, we're we're again, God has called us to worship. God has called is sending us out with his peace and his grace and his and his mercy. And we are refreshed, renewed, and aligning our hearts accordingly. There's so much we could say about this, okay, but let me just say two things will be done. One, this should really um, prick our hearts in terms of sometimes how casual we are related to worship, how casual we are um, related to preparing our hearts, how casual we are in prioritizing the gathered body, how casual we are even, even as the way that we engage with the living God in worship. And so, so casual versus weighty versus a sobriety about who we are worshiping. But the second thing is, and that, that we'll notice here, is that everything in this passage cries out for the fact that we need a mediator. We need a go-between between us and God. And of course, God has called, in a temporal sense, Moses to be that mediator. But we realize as we read Exodus is that Moses is sin, he's flawed, he's he, he fails. He's prevented from going into the promised land because of his sin. And, and because of that, we need a more perfect mediator. We need a, a more perfect substitute. And this is why Moses promises that after him will come a prophet who is far greater. 
It's why God prophesies that after the King David, there'll be a king who is more faithful. Um, after the, 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 the Levite priests who often fail in their duties, there will, there will come a, a high priest. Jesus, as our prophet, priest, and king, is the fulfillment, is the one mediator between God and man. All right, just some last nuggets there from, from the burning bush passage tomorrow. The I am who I say that I am. And I hope you join us. Eight o'clock sharp, let me pray. Lord, align our hearts today that we would be worshiping in all that we do. And that when we come together again on Sunday, that we would be um, cognizant of the fact that we are coming into the presence of the sovereign Holy King. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.